From aerospace to earthquake retrofitting and auto manufacturing, welders give structure to our world with their creations. My guests on this episode of Future Groove are a pair of veteran welders who took different professional paths before joining Downey Unified's growing career technical education program. Team teachers Brian Mazariegos and Carlos Cifuentes talk about guiding students through the welding process and in partnership with Cerritos College, helping high schoolers graduate with valuable college credit and industry-recognized skills. In the high demand, well-paid, and diverse field of welding, jobs await certified craftspeople here at home and abroad. Brian and Carlos, welcome to Future Groove. Good morning. Thank you. Good morning. So uh, the two of you are outstanding welding instructors at Columbus High School, a new program there in the career technical education pathway that feeds uh, directly into Cerritos College. And we'll talk about that a little bit. But where I'd really like to start is in your stories about how did you uh, find your future groove in welding and then uh, eventually in talking with and instructing students that want to find their future groove in welding as well. So, Brian, why don't we start with you? Okay, yeah. My f- welding background, um, I want to say it was around, tw- I was 24, 25, I believe, and um, I was working at a job. I think it was a warehouse job. And then I had a, one of my buddies, he was an ele- electrician, and he was telling me, oh, you should look into the trades. And I was like, okay, yeah, I'll take a look. And my mom, she used to work for LA Community College. And she was tell- telling me that LA Trade Tech had was pretty good with their trade programs. So I was looking into it and I ran, I came across um, welding. And that's when I started my welding career. I, I attended full time. I did it once for about two years took all the classes I needed, I took my certification tests, my D11 in stick welding, and then I took practical for flux core welding. And by the end of uh, my education there, there was a company that went by and they were hiring entry-level welders and um, I applied and me and four other classmates, they got a job there as well. It was for retrofitting apartments. So pretty much we would be in a shop and we would get the I-beams. We would cut them to size and weld them in shop. And then we would go and take them out to the field and fit them in apartments. So they're they're, they're frames for the um, carports to reinforce the apartment building just for earthquakes. And it was pretty neat. We would go all over LA, Beverly Hills, Van Nuys, all over. I was there for about five years, four or five years. And then from there, I went to local 170, which is sheet metal union, which was completely opposite from what I was doing. I was doing heavy, heavy um, welding. And now here's light gauge welding, which was pretty cool. I learned a lot there. And then from there, I had a buddy that was telling me, oh, you should look into teaching because he, he would see me, we, we work together, and he was like, oh, you work really well with others, and you're always teach, trying to help them. Um, and then he was, you, should, you should look into teaching, because he was a teacher himself. 
So he guided me into teaching route. He was like, go here, look at, at LACO, and they have all the checklists of what you need to do, which I did. And about two years, no, three years ago, is when I got my first teaching job at Pomona Fairplex, which is an after-school program for high school kids where they could earn more credits if they're behind or if they just want to learn a hobby. It's pretty cool. That's where I'm at now. I still teach there in the in the evenings, and um, kids like it. The, the program is growing. There's an auto program there as well. And then from there, I found the Downey opening, which was a year ago and some months. I applied, and I'm here now, thankfully, happily, happy here. Great, Brian. We're happy to have you in that program. Carlos, tell us about your story and how you got into the industry with regard to welding and your experiences there. Hey, John, thanks for helping us, and uh, appreciate the comment. I, I was kind of born into it. My dad's an auto body guy, and so... Uh, <laughs> It's just funny how it goes, you know what I mean? Uh, my dad always thought, hey, uh, he's going to end up being an auto body guy like me and painting cars. So at a very young age, I learned how to prep cars. And uh, I think my dad had showed me a picture at one point where I was in a uh, in Pampers holding a spray gun. Pretty neat, you know? So uh, growing up, I was very artistic. I used to love drawing. So that's where me and my dad used to butt heads. Uh, he was more of the guy that just liked fixing cars and painting them and out there, out, out there, out they go. And I was more of the guy that, hey, dad, we should start, you know, cutting a fender here, modernifying it there. Uh, we should do this, do that. And we would sit on the table with my dad would look at me and be like, you're crazy. And I was the end of the story. <laughs> so I had resistance there, but I had I was very, you know, very optimistic and constantly pushing his buttons, not in a bad way, but. Now, you know, as a son, you always want to win your father's approval. And so time went on. I modified, you know, I helped him out a lot in the shop. He gave me my first car at the age of, I think it was like 14 or 13. And I grew up in Watts, so it was a really bad area. Um, And he tried to keep us indoors by giving us these projects. And he was always trying to give us, he was trying to always set us in a nice, in a good way. You know what I mean? In a good path. And so I spent about three summers working on that car. And the way that I was getting money off of it was um, I would work on his cars. And in return, he would supervise what I had done. And so um, once I graduated high school, I started working aerospace. And I always wanted to be a cop. And so I joined, you know, local community colleges and I started taking classes. And I kind of got away from the whole car scene, the whole manufacturing scene, the whole fabrication scene. And I and I started diving into kind of aerospace and uh, you know, law enforcement. And in 2009, I T-boned an RV with my motorcycle. And so I broke my collarbone, I broke my shoulder, messed up my side. And so I'm sitting there and I'm thinking to myself, man, the academy is not going to want me anymore. What am I going to do? You know, I'm, I'm, you know, and so I go back into the garage and my dad's making this rack for my cousin that worked for a, you know, a company. And I was like, you know what? I'm, I'm going to give this a second try. 
So my cousins had taken some classes in at high school. He's like, you know what, man? Let me teach you. I'm like, okay. I mean, I, I've done this all my life, but maybe you're going to teach me something different. You know, since he took a course. I grew up learning in the backyard. And so he, he's showing me and I'm like, okay, okay, nothing different. You know, nothing different. And so next thing, I, I'm, I'm in this rabbit hole. I'm cutting parts again. I'm, I'm welding tubing. I'm going to my local scraps because back then I didn't have much money in my pocket. So I would, I would buy metal at a scrapyard and just practice. And so eventually I swapped uh, community colleges and I ended up at uh, El Camino. And I was scared. Uh, honest to you, I tell this story to all my students. You know, my first welding program, I was scared. I thought there was going to be guys that knew what they were doing. I was I was intimidated. So I I joined, and it, never did I never in my life that I thought that you know I was going to enter this rabbit hole. So I joined. It's just it was mind changing. I you know I would go home and every day after class and and research something new like a different tool. And so since I've always been on the artistic side, fabrication has always been like my life. You know, I just like building things from scratch, thinking, uh, manipulating things or, you know, changing things. So as I'm in the program, I'm buying all these tools that I didn't even know how to use. They were not in the program at that time. So I started a small little business. So remember I told you I ran, I T-boned that RV with my motorcycle? Yeah. It wasn't my fault. Yeah. Somebody ran a stop sign. I had no stop sign. So my bike sitting there in pieces. I start fixing it myself, broke it all apart. Right. So I started from scratch. And uh, at the time, stunt riding was like really new. And so I started grabbing some tubes. I started bending them with the, with an electrical, an electrical uh, a conduit bender. Little did I know that was not the way to bend tube. I almost broke my teeth because I, I knocked myself out with that tube bender. And so here I am learning, right? And you know what? I got to look for a tube bender. How do you bend tube? So I started looking into a tube bender. And then there you go. I bought a tube bender. And, and I was broke. You know, I was making it happen. And so as I bought tools, I was, you know, making money off of it. I, I would try to bring... Uh, Customers through social media. That's that's how I really started, you know, in, in the backyard, bringing customers to social media. And uh, I would, you know, make 50 bucks here, 100 there. Next thing you know, I, I got a, I got clientele. So that's how I pretty much got myself through college. You know, I quit my aerospace uh, job because it was really getting into the way of my, in the way of my education. And, um, I was working full-time out of my mom's garage. How did you connect to the industry itself in terms of getting welding jobs? Well, that came after I... Um, it's funny because it, it actually was through that. A lot of people who actually went on after graduating were looking through jobs, you know, for the railroad, for, you know, local unions and stuff like that. And I remember sitting in my yard and my buddy's like, hey, you'd be pretty good at the railroad. And I'm like, really? You think? And he's like, yeah. I'm like, this whole time I worked out of my backyard. So that has always fed me one way or another. If it's not uh, if it's not networking or it's always got me a job. And so I joined the railroad. 
you know, and I remember sitting in a um, in a room with 18 people. I remember the manager showing up and he says, I only need one guy out of this room. And I thought to myself, man, you know, there's guys twice my age here, twice my experience. And luckily, when I was in school, I had gotten my L.A. City. And I, when I was younger, I also got my uh, CDL, my, my commercial license. And that's all I had. And so I'm there and, and I went through the interview and uh, my manager calls me that evening. He's like, hey, you're interested or not? And I'm like, all right, sweet. I'll, I'll take it. I'll take it. First job. Find out that the only reason why he hired me was because of my certs, my class A and my structural LA City license. Oh, there you go. So I was there for about three years. Then, you know, I had to grow some roots eventually. It's on the way. And uh, her cousin, my, my wife's cousin, in a party was like, you know what? If you really want to grow some roots, why don't you uh, join Local 433? You know? I was like, you know what? I'm going to give that a try. Again, because of my certs. I walked into their hall one day, and I talked to one of the BAs. And I'm like, hey, uh, I would like to join. His question was, uh, what's the difference between you and the guys that are sitting right behind you that want the same thing? And I showed him a whole portfolio, you know, you know, my diploma, school, my L.A. City, my CDLs. And as soon as he saw he didn't care about any of my diplomas except for my L.A. City license, my certification. And he's like, oh, you have an L.A. City? I'm like, yeah. He's like, sit down. Let me get rid of these guys and give me about 15 minutes. So I sit there. Next thing you know, I got sponsored by this company. So I was with the local for a minute. While I was working, I was trigger, trying to figure out how to make more money. And one day there was some guy sitting, just standing around. And I asked one of the guys, like, who's that guy? He said, I see inspector. I'm like, oh, how did he get that job? And, he, and uh, nobody would tell me. For the next six months, I was trying to figure out. And then one day I met this one inspector. He's like, well, there's a school here. And I started getting into inspections now. Studying inspections, being an iron worker. And then I get into inspections, next thing you know. And I'm doing inspection work now. So this industry has always kept me into this rabbit hole, one after another. And now I'm teaching. And, and, I, and I, like you said, I think I found my liking. That's a great story. Both of you have great stories. Tell me a little bit about the industry itself. I, I don't know a lot about the welding industry. I hear, and I don't know how accurate it is, but I hear that uh, there's a shortage of welders and uh, those that are in the materials joining um, uh, industry. What do you know about that in terms of the industry itself and the demand for uh, certified certified welders? Uh, I, I heard this astronomical number of, there's like, 40,000 in the LA uh, in the LA area there's 40,000 empty seats that they can't seem to to fill I know you don't do a lot of welding from a seat but it's kind of a kind of a description of a job right 40,000 jobs in various areas of, of welding do you think that's accurate what can you tell me about the the industry itself uh, currently yeah it's pretty accurate um there's a lot of job openings um, they could be out in the field with the iron workers, with local 250, which is pipe fitters, with the boiler makers, which is uh, they make boilers at the refinery. They're all hurting for people. Even shop where I can't, my background is shop welding. They're hurting for people as well too. But um, you have to want it. You have to go out, go get your education, learn to weld, and you, you can get those jobs. Those jobs. They might be difficult to get 
I don't want to say difficult, but if you know what you're doing and if you really want it, you can get it. It's it's out there for grabs for anybody, anybody. The welding's for everybody, anybody, women, men. It's out there. You can go out and get a job if you really want. If Carlos and I, for whatever reason, we lose this job, we can go tomorrow and we go, we'll find a job. There's openings left and right. Carlos, you want to add to that? You know, John, I think it has to do with our industry. It's not like your typical job where people tell you, hey, this is your job. This is what you have to do. With. This is what you got to do. In our industry is we we earn those skills. Those skills are mine. Nobody could take those skills from me. And so I could travel anywhere around the world if I wanted to. Let's say uh, I had a buddy um, a couple years back um, went through a midlife crisis and he went online. He found a job in Australia for for a year and it paid well. It paid all his relocation fees. It paid for everything. And it says, you know what? I'm going to go to Australia for a year. And he took off. So there's jobs in Mexico. There's jobs in Brazil. There's jobs in Qatar. There's jobs all over the world for us. So the American Well Society has the uh, international. So we're worldwide. Um, and so we could just relocate ourselves anywhere we want. Like, let's just say right now, um, I want to move to Texas or to Idaho or Colorado. I could work out of my house. I could make a small business with a simple, um, you know, one of these Amazon, eBay accounts or offer up accounts and sell out of my house with a computer and, and my shop. Uh, so the industry, it's it's so big. It's pretty much up to your imaginations to make a living, you know? Yeah. It sounds like uh, if you have the welding skills and some certifications and you have a sense of adventure, you could pursue all of that, Correct. right? Travel around the world if that's what you if that's what you want to do. I'm always intrigued when I hear about welding uh, because welding is uh, is one single word that seems to describe an industry that has so many different facets to it. Like it's not just one process that that is characterized by welding. You're joining materials together through a lot of different ways. Can you tell me a little bit about that skill development? Brian uh, referred to boiler makers and pipe fitters and and there are different um, uh, organization that organizations that represent uh, those particular skill sets. But can you tell me a little bit about the, the types of welding that uh, that uh, people pursue and then uh, and then find themselves working in the industry do, doing? Um, for, for pipe fitters, the boilermakers, that's pipe welding. So they're building um, pressure vessels. So you have to join pipe. So that's very, um, what's the word? Precise. You have to really know what you're doing because they'll get tested. It's a lot of pressures going through those pipes. So I have a buddy right now. He is... Um, in the local 250, he's going through an apprenticeship. So he's learning from scratch. He's And he showed me pictures, videos of what he's doing. It's pretty awesome. It's it's awesome. You, but you have to really pay attention to what you're doing. The, the pipe fitters, boilermakers, are, they're also pipe fitters as well. I don't know too many boilermakers. But yeah, pipe fitters is very interesting. I like that. I like pipe fitters. Generally, if I want to become a welder and I enter into a, a a program or I start to pursue that, what kinds of welding would I need to would I need to learn? What are the basics? One of you referred to stick welding, uh, and I think that that's that's kind of a deal. 
both my dad and my grandfather were auto mechanics and and my my grandfather had uh, some welding equipment. We were by no means could probably consider ourselves uh, welders, but I, it seems like you were always taking a hammer and knocking slag off of the off of the joint that was that was welded. But I think there's other welding processes where you don't have that slag building up because there's other gases that are involved. So tell me a little bit about that uh, and and what students that are pursuing a career in welding might might learn beyond just a, an oxyacetylene torch and joining some materials together? So your typical, right, is your, which is kind of obsolete, but it's still around, is your oxyfuel welding, right? It's, it's a good skill to know. That's one of them. Then you have your MIG, which is your easiest out of all the processes, like common processes. Then you have stick, you have TIG. Tell me a little bit more about MIG. What what? How does MIG work? So MIG is pretty much a uh, semi-auto process that that uses a, a spool. It depends on the size of your machine, but depending on the size of your machine, that's kind of that's going to dictate the uh, poundage of your spool size. It's like a wire. Yeah, it's a wire, right? Um, so it feeds through uh, this coil, right, into your, through your through your lead and in, through your gun. It uses a DC electropositive, and it also requires inner gases, which is it could use like a single gas, like carbon di- uh, uh, carbon dioxide CO2, but it's, it's it could be 100% CO2, right? The most affordable way of welding with it, or you could do a dual mix, which is like a 75 argon. 25 CO2, which is a cleaner mix. You can use tri-mixes. And so you can have a very high deposit rate and pour fit up and have a very nice final product. That's one easy way to put it. Okay. So it's pretty much you just point, pull the trigger, and start laying beads. Starts starts feeding the wire into the into the arc. Yes. What how is that different from I've heard about TIG welding. How is that different from that? TIG welding is an art. So that's the other common process. It uses tungsten, which is a very, it's a very tough, uh, tough steel. It's, it's, it has a very high melting temperature. And so uh, it uses tungsten to create this arc, but it also uses gases to stabilize, uh, stabilize that arc. Right. And so, Whatever your dominant hand is, that's what you're holding that tick torch with, right? That process uses DC electropositive, AC, alternating current, and it also uses DC electronegative, right? It uses all different because it's very volatile when it comes to metals. You could almost weld any, any, any metal with that process. And so it's a little bit more of an art, and it's difficult because you're using your dominant hand to hold the torch, then you're using your other hand to feed a 36 inch piece of wire into your puddle, right? And then either you use your, uh, your dominant hand has a, a little knob for your gas, or you could use your foot pedal to control the high frequency and the temperature. So that you, you have, it's almost like rubbing your stomach and tapping your head at the same time. You know what I mean, you're doing too much things at the same time to create this puddle. 
Now, the thing about that process, it's used in aerospace, it's used in, in pressure, pressure vessels, it's used in hospitals. Anything that goes into a human's body, it's going to use that process because it's a cleaner process out of all of them. It's used in automotive. It's, it's used in almost any industry when you want a very clean well. So, yes, it takes more skill to run that process than any of the other ones. Tell us about what, what it is that the students are actually learning uh, in your classroom. Uh, you have a two-year program there. What are some of the essential skill sets that you're working on with your students uh, so that they can have a competitive edge when they leave your program and go into a community college program at, uh, at Cerritos College? So f- first off, we start with safety. That's our number one priority, safety, safety, safety. We drill it into their head, safety. Because they have to be safe, they have to be safe out in the field, out in the shop, safe, safety. After safety, we dive into a little bit of blueprint reading and then a little bit of um, measuring because they have to learn how to use a measuring tape, their fractions. Many of the students don't know how to read a measuring tape or fractions. But luckily, Carlos is really good at math, so... He taught me a bit of a thing or two, teaches the students a lot. Um, and then from there, we go over the oxyacetylene torch. We go over about for a week or two, we talk about it. We teach, we teach them how to set it up, turn it, turn it off, um, teach them about the gases, which is acetylene and oxygen. You mix those together, you get oxyacetylene. And from there, we go dive into GMAW, gas metal arc welding, which is um, MIG. That's the other name for MIG, for GMAW, we call it MIG. And from MIG, we go into SMAW, which is um, shielding metal arc welding, which is, we call it stick welding now in the field industry. And then from the in, from SMAW, we dive into flux core welding, which is somewhat similar to GMAW because it's still fed through a spool of wire, but it doesn't consist of any gas. So GMAW is mostly used for indoor shop welding because if there's any wind, it'll blow away the gases and that's going to deter the weld from coming out the way you want it. Flux core, you can use it outdoors. It's meant for outdoor welding. And then from flux core, we dive into GMAW, which is gas metal arc welding, which is TIG welding. That is also an indoor process because you need the gases. And if you're welding outdoors, it's going to blow away the gases. So we cover a little bit of all of those in our classroom. It seems to me like this industry is um, pretty social. you got to be able to work with people, right? How, do, how does that come out in your classroom in terms of working with, with students? Maybe some of those what you might call non-technical skills that are directly uh, related to the welding process, but there are these sort of person-to-person human skills that you need uh, in order to work with other people how do you uh, address that in your in your classroom curriculum or are the students or are the students come in very very well practiced and you know they're just perfect communicators in terms of connecting with with everyone carlos you're laughing oh uh, yeah you, you want me to take this over this one brian <laughs> so yes i mean it's great our one thing we tell our, our students is hey they, they might not talk to every single one of them, you know, within their peers. But there's one thing we do tell them is uh, uh, social networking is how you bring food to the table. Right. But 
there's a big but here. When we're in class, we have to be 100% here. We just can't, you know, deviate from uh, our assignments or like Brian says, we, we hit, we drill safety to their heads because we don't want them to start distracting themselves in a conversation. Next thing you know, they forget about their hands and their hand placement. And there you go. Now you got a third degree burn. So we do let them socialize, but we constantly remind them of the objective. Hey, get on the assignment, get on the assignment. So it is like a two-way street. So we have to constantly hover over students. Now the networking part, I do tell them my stories, my personal stories. I, you know, I, I take out all the bad stuff and I try to keep all the good stuff, but I remind them that there is a life, there is a reality, there is a risk to everything that we do. So. Uh, never trust anybody, right? When you're out in the industry, uh, always keep your head on your swivel. You know, always double check yourself. You know, we all, there's always nightmare stories out there. So communication is a good thing because as long as me and you communicate, we're going to, we're going to keep the safety factor, but it can also become a distraction, John. One of the things I've noticed as I've, as I've walked through your classroom, uh, is the change if if I walk through one week and then a couple of weeks go by, I come back. It it seems like the students are not where they were a couple of weeks ago. Maybe from a confidence level or just in the way they carry themselves. What can you tell me? What that's all about, or kind of what happens there? Maybe even tell me some student stories if you have them uh, about how this program has really contributed to a, a different outlook, um, a different mindset about, about their future, about their, even their work here in the present. Yeah, I'll take, I'll take this one. Um, that's why I joined teaching because I, I like what, what I see at the end of the year. So kids, students walk in scared, shy. They don't know what they're getting into. Give them two, three weeks you can see the confidence in them. You see, when they first start using the accelerating torch, they're scared. I don't know what to do. Oh my God, we might blow up. I don't want to get caught on fire. But we we just teach them, you know, you won't blow up. You won't catch on fire. If you pay attention to us, if you do your homework, you do your assignments, you'll be safe. We'll all be safe. And then once they get confident in doing it themselves, you you can't stop them there every day. Oh, what are we doing today? What are we doing today? What's next? What's tomorrow? Are we still going to use a torch? Are we still cutting? Can we cut this? Can we cut that? It's, it's just awesome how, how you see them grow into a different person that and they're, they're happy they're, that they joined the class because they didn't know that they had this in them. And... I and that's why I teach this. I, they can make a hobby out of it. They can make a career out of it. But the best part is, do you see the confidence? You see them strive. Like, oh, where where else can I go after high school? Where can I take this? Do you guys have any jobs available that are hiring? It's it's awesome. I I love it. I love what I do because of them. Just to teach them something new that they didn't know they can do. I mean, we all we all know those students that kind of drag their feet, they slouch, right? Uh, they don't know how to wear a belt or they don't know how to tie up their shoelaces or their backpack is, you know, I don't know, dragging right behind them. And so we 
constantly remind them like, hey, pick up your feet. Hey, shoulders back, head up. And they also start changing their posture. It's like their posture is kind of connected to their emotions, right? Once you give somebody a piece of confidence, it's it's like a steroid. It, it just changes that person. And some of these students, we see that a lot. You know, like Brian says, they come in here, they're scared. They don't know what they're getting themselves into. They see all these videos and Instagram wells and they want to do it. They just don't know the rabbit hole that they're getting themselves into. When they get in there, it's like, wow, this is this is pretty cool. You know, their confidence up. Even how they talk to you, they interact with one another. It's, it's totally different. You know, when they start talking to one another, they're using that terminology that you, you taught them. And it's like, OK, cool. It's sinking into them. And like Brian says, it's it's uh, it, it's, it changes you as an instructor because, yes, we are instructors. That doesn't mean that we're perfect. We're also students of our students. And so as we see that, then we're OK, well, maybe um, Johnny over here. Right. Uh, that doesn't work for him. So let me try something different with him. And, you know, you learn off of that Johnny kid. And, okay, so if I ever get this criteria kids, maybe I'm going to use this technique on them. So they teach us too. And that also helps us in our personal life, in our classrooms. And so, yeah, no, it's 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 phenomenal watching these kids kind of evolve from the first ages to even the first month, you could see it the first week and then the month, it's like, wow. So so exciting to see see the change in the uh, confidence levels that uh, build in your students. I'll tell you another thing that I was, uh, I was really, really pleased to see, and that is you had uh, some visitors a couple of weeks ago, and it was basically the, the dean and uh, faculty members from Cerritos College doing a walkthrough through your program there. Uh, interacting with your students and, and, and with you. Can you talk a little bit about the value of the partnership with Cerritos College and uh, their welding faculty uh, there in, in supporting the program that you're building at Columbus High School? Yeah, it's a pretty awesome partnership we have with Cerritos College. We are working with articulation here with Cerritos College. So what that means is the class, they get college credit and they get credit for taking the class here. So when they go to Cerritos College, they skip the intro class and they go into a more advanced course, which is really awesome because there's a wait list to, for Cerritos College. And now these students bypass that and go take the classes they need to instead of waiting, who knows how long they have to wait. Which for me, when I went to school, I had to wait a little bit to get into the classes. And these kids have an opportunity to not have to wait, which is awesome. They can take the classes, finish sooner, and get a job sooner out in the welding industry. So these relationships are pretty good for our students. They understand what's required of them. So they're not, it's not something new to them once they transition. It's almost, it's the same thing. It's a smooth transition for them. It's easier for them. Um and it connects the industry because Cerritos is a state-of-the-art program. And so they're connected to the industry through their instructors as well. And they're well-known in Southern California. So once our students come in here, it's they're pretty much ahead of the game by the time they get there. It helps the industry. It helps the employers, right? Because they understand what the employers are seeking. Like Brian said, we teach them math here. That's one thing the employers... Uh, constantly complain about there some of the welders they know how to weld but they just don't know how to do layout 
knowing those key key things to hit as an instructor uh, helps the the student please the employers or just please the industry, you know, and it's because the industry is large. I know you asked those like, you know, key processes, but the list of welding processes is it's 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 a huge list. We know common ones, but the industry is always growing. It's never ending. One other thing that I've noticed in your program that I think causes you to kind of say, hmm, I don't, I don't see this very often, and that is walk into the classroom. You've got uh, very engaged students. There's two instructors in the middle of this program. Tell me a little bit about that partnership that you have with each other and the benefits of having uh, two professional welders in the classroom working with young people uh, at Columbus High School that are on their way to Cerritos College. What are some of the benefits of that kind of that kind of structure? Uh, it's where I begin. It's it's great for the students. It's great for Carlos and I. It helps them because we have two different backgrounds. Carlos, he was uh, out in the field, railroad. I was more of a shop guy. So students can go either route. If they want to go the out in the field route, there's Carlos to guide them. They want to go to shop, like I, I can guide them. It's just endless possibilities with both of us being there. If kids need have a question, I'm busy, they can go to Carlos and vice versa. It's amazing. Like I I haven't seen that when I was growing up going to school. It was only one teacher for 30 students, 35 students. Now we have two two teachers for the students here. And it's pretty pretty lucky for the students to have both of us here. I, I say so. The other thing that helps the students out is welders, we all have our styles, right? It's like a signature. We all have our own signature. We all have our own remedies to uh, fix a situation, right? And so having two instructors in one class can be a little bit frustrating for students, right? Because... Brian might tell him one way and I might tell him the other way and I might be black and white. And it's like, hold up, but he just told me this, but I, but they might get confused. And one thing we do tell them is this, I have my style, Brian has his style, right? And so what you can do is pick the best of what we've instructed you to do, right? Well, my work for me, it might not work for you. So any, any other course you go to, any other community college you go to, you're going to get the same thing. You're going to take a course. You're going to have this one instructor that's going to tell you, this is how I do it. This is how this is, this is how you got to do this. How do I do that? Next semester, you go to a final instructor and he tells you something totally different. And you're like, wait, wait, wait. He told me this. It's like, it's totally fine. That's That works for him. And so having two, two individuals here actually gives them a glance of what they're going to face out in the real world. You know, they're going to meet all different type of welder. I've met hundreds of them and I always would learn different techniques, different things for other people. I'm like, hey, I never thought about that. I never thought about this. Sometimes, you know, people will share things to me and I'm like, mm, that doesn't make sense, but you know what? I'm going to give it a try. And oh, change. It changed this, change this technique. So students benefit from having two instructors, even though sometimes it can be confusing, but as long as you tell them like, hey, pick and choose what we're giving you and make it your own, Right. The relationship between me and Brian, a lot of, I know you mentioned in the beginning, you thought, you know, it was going to be kind of hard having two instructors here, you know, two different mindsets. There might have been some, you know, headbutting, but sometimes, hey, Brian, what are you doing this weekend? You know, we try to build this relationship between us, even though we're two different individuals. And so 
we always check, hey, Brian, what do you think about this? That's one thing that we've done to keep a healthy relationship with both with, within both of us. Uh, how do you think about this? Hey, well, you know, this is how I feel about that. And, and we come to like a happy medium agreement where it's like, OK, I see what you're coming from. And we try to be open within the conversation. You know, what I mean, we one sided conversations are not going to work here. So that's one thing we've we've done to we have a, a rule and a respect respect for our students respect for each other so we just respect ourselves that's how we get along just respect yeah seems like an essential learning skill that uh, your students uh, witness firsthand between the two of you in terms of hey what do you think always a good question it's always great when students uh, will come uh, in the learning process and say can i run something by you I, i'm having a little bit of a you know some difficulty understanding this piece much better to ask than uh, than to just assume, right? As you think about the future moving forward in this program, what is your future groove? What would you like to see happen in the next two or three years uh, in this program with the students that you're that you're working with now, having uh, about a year under a year two under your belt? What would be your future groove looking at this program? I would like this program to keep growing. I see endless possibilities with this program. Kids like it. Kids love it. I would like to see my students come back in a few years and be like, oh, thank you for teaching us this trade. I'm working in this trade or you taught me life lessons. It doesn't they don't necessarily have to be in this trade, but as long as they go out there and they're successful. That's what I want from this programs for students to come back and tell us because of you guys we are who we are and we are where we are because without you guys i don't think i'd be where i'm at you know i think i would say i i treat it like a fridge you know we give them a water bottle come back put your water bottle back you know sometimes maybe there's a student that was once in your in your shoes and maybe he needs that help that that you got so how about you come back if you have jobs, if you have uh, positions that could be filled up by these level entry welders, yeah, so be it. For the program, I know, you know, you, Kelly, John, you guys have been very supportive anytime we've asked for stuff. And um, we like to keep that relationship, you know, to keep this program growing. If we could cover more classes from Cerrito so that our students could have uh, more credits, more college credits as they transition over there and it just makes it easier. I mean, I would like to see that, you know some layout classes, some fabrication classes, bring some fabric more fabrication tools in here. And uh, the more the merrier for them, the more the merrier. Well, Carlos and Brian, thank you so much for spending this time uh, with us today, helping us understand the industry a little bit better, understanding the story of how you got into the welding industry, and most importantly, sharing what you're doing in helping uh, young people uh, approach and develop uh, skill sets that are very, very valuable in having a competitive edge in the in the welding industry. We uh, we salute you for all that you're doing and the contributions that you're making uh, in young people's lives. I'm quite sure that uh, while we have talked a little bit about some of the waiting lists at Cerritos College, we are hoping that the program will grow uh, so that we won't have much of a waiting list. Although I think that's probably going to happen with regard to your particular program. I hear students talking to their friends and, and recommending the program 
to them as well. And so uh, thank you so much for being on Future Groove today. Thank you. Thank you for having us, John. Always a pleasure. Thank you for joining us today on the Future Groove podcast. You can find the show notes for this and other episodes on the Future Groove website by connecting to futuregroove.com. You'll also find links to organizations and resources referenced in today's conversation. You can contact us through the website or by emailing us. Our email address is john at futuregroove.com. We are especially grateful for our executive producer, Kelly Cooper, and our pre- and post-production engineer and studio master, Nicholas Chamberlain, at EveryWord Media. Until next time, I'm John Harris wishing you all the best in finding your future groove.